Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have in as our guest one of the newest members of the Cal Psychiatry team, Dr. Kate Kinosh. Dr. Kinosh is a child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist who specializes in the treatment of psychiatric illnesses that impact children and adolescents, including, but not limited to, mood and anxiety disorders, ADHD, and eating disorders. She also sees children struggling with behavioral issues at home or at school, and adolescents exploring their gender identity. She uses various treatment tools, including psychotherapy, psychoeducation, parent and family interventions, and medications to help an individual achieve their personalized goals in treatment. She carefully listens to a person's unique story and uses an evidence-based approach to address their individualized needs. Her child and adolescent fellowship training helps her to explore her patients through a lens that considers biological, psychological, and environmental factors that contribute to their symptoms. She believes in addressing the family system in treatment so that the individual and when applicable, the entire family can achieve psychological healing and growth. She received her medical degree from the University of Chicago Pritzker School of Medicine, trained at UCSF for a general adult psychiatry residency, and completed her fellowship in child and adolescent psychiatry at Stanford University. She is currently practicing at the Cal Psychiatry's Menlo Park office and over telehealth. Today, we talk about ADHD in children and adolescents. Welcome, Kate. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on as our guest one of the newest members of the Cal Psychiatry team, child and adolescent psychiatrist and adult psychiatrist, Kate Kinosh. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So we were talking earlier before we were recording, thinking about how easy this conversation was going to be because you work a lot with ADHD in children. That I do. That I do. ADHD, you know, it's almost become so common that it's like a buzzword. Everyone thinks either they have it or their child has it. The fact is a lot of people do have it. So a lot to say on it. Where should we start? Probably with just understanding what ADHD is. You know, some people still use the term ADD. That's not the term we use anymore. ADHD is Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. And the reason people say ADD is there used to be thoughts that, oh, is that something different than ADHD? But just to clarify, so ADHD, there's three subtypes. There's hyperactivity type, inattentive type and combined type. So hyperactivity type is kind of your classic kid running around the classroom, can't sit still, climbing, often getting in trouble at school. Those are honestly the kids who get noticed the most because they have behavioral issues sometimes. The inattentive type often gets missed, at least in younger kids, because this is the kid who's not really getting in trouble, but they might be daydreaming in the classroom. You ask them what happened in school and their mind was other places. They're forgetful. They might lose things, but they're not climbing up and down, running around. So again, they can go longer before it gets detected. And then combined type are kids who have features of both. What is most common, boys versus girls, all that kind of stuff? 
Yeah. So I think in terms of what's most common, it's kind of a changing landscape because again, we're diagnosing ADHD way more frequently than we ever used to. It's a complicated question of, is it because there is more ADHD? Is it because we're just diagnosing it and more aware of it? Um, Is it something about our environment that's making it a lot harder for kids to pay attention? My thoughts is it's probably all of the above, but the stereotypical demographics are often the hyperactivity type is more common in boys, although certainly girls can have it. And then the inattentive type is often more common in girls, although certainly boys can have it. And then, of course, both can have combined type. But again, it's that the inattentive type gets missed more often. So there might be a lot of people out there with inattentive type that just don't get picked up or at least don't get picked up when they're younger. And around what age? I mean, I'm assuming that looking back, you a parent might say, oh, you know, these symptoms have been present for forever. But I mean, what is kind of the most typical age of first diagnosis? So the thing that people often don't realize about ADHD is it's what we call a neurodevelopmental disorder, meaning a person has to have shown symptoms before age 12 to even get a diagnosis. So we hear of this concept, and we could probably do a whole episode on this, of adult ADHD. And Really, to truly have an ADHD diagnosis, you should have been showing signs before age 12. So in a kid, that's often pretty easy to figure out. If they come to your office at age 10 and they're showing signs, then they meet that criteria before age 12. But with an adult, really to dig into if they have the neurodevelopmental disorder, we should be looking back and seeing if they showed symptoms before age 12. But in terms of when they present, often... When I talk to parents about it, it can really depend on their environmental structure. So there might be a kid who shows a lot of symptoms in first, second grade, but they're in a school environment that helps them thrive. And a teacher who's used to working with kids with ADHD symptoms and has all kinds of different activities and they're not really getting in trouble, or they could be in a school environment that is much more restrictive and they're getting in lots of trouble. And so then they present to me. So I think they have the ADHD, you know, it's biologically in their brain, not that that's really how we think of it, but biologically, you know, they're they're prone to these symptoms at a young age, but it can often be the environment that determines when a kid presents. So do you think about ADHD, the symptoms of inattentiveness as a continuum? So like on one end, it's normal attention, right? On the other end, it's pretty severe ADHD, but you can exist even normal can exist all along that continuum. Yes, absolutely. So when parents come to me, I think a lot of people fear that, especially as a child and adolescent psychiatrist, I am just going to throw medications at their child and say, fix your child. And they don't want that. And of course, some people do want medications. But here's how I always like to counsel my parents. My goal is to help your child thrive in the home environment, the school environment, the camp environment, whatever environment it might be. So certainly, we all have aspects of inattentiveness. We all have aspects of wanting to wiggle and move around. And we like to think about it in terms of when those symptoms are 
preventing you from succeeding to your fullest potential. So there are parents who tell me, I don't want to medicate my kid. And I say, of course, that's totally fine. There are certain jobs as an adult where having hyperactivity symptoms, even inattentive symptoms can still help you thrive. Creative jobs, jobs where you're on the move. So it doesn't need to be that we all just need to get medicated. But in the same way, if a kid is having symptoms where they're getting in trouble all the time, they're having trouble making friends because they're acting out all the time, they start hating school, they start not wanting to go to school, they start feeling anxious because the teacher's always getting mad at them. Those are the times where I want to help parents think like, hey, Are these symptoms getting in the way of your child not only reaching their potential, but enjoying their life? And that's where I think when I think of the continuum, it's really how they're acting in their own environment as when we want to think about treatment. Can I go to diagnosis next? Of course. Okay. So a lot of times, because I see a lot of adults with ADHD, there's always a discussion about how the diagnosis should happen, right? Mm -hmm, And we mm -hmm. maybe go through to kind of help the listener understand the various types or ways to become diagnosed or to get the diagnosis. Sure. So typically, and I'll highlight with kids, often the teacher might first be the one to notify parents, although it can happen at home. And the key, 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 I can't underline, highlight, star this enough, the key is it they must show symptoms in two different environments. And the reason why I'm highlighting that is because there are people who come to me and say, my kid is having all these behavioral issues, can't stop moving, can't stop talking back, getting in trouble at home, but they are perfect at school. Vice versa also happens. A kid is getting in trouble all the time at school and parents see no signs at home. And I can get into, we might not even have time, but why often that happens, but really to meet criteria, they have to show symptoms in two different settings, typically for a child at school and home, or if it's the summer, camp and home, something like that. A pediatrician can totally diagnose it, but again, they want to have gotten report from parents and report from teachers so that we're seeing that in two different settings. There's many questionnaires out there that can help inform us, but I always like to say that questionnaires just give us information. They're not a diagnostic tool. So ultimately, you'd want a physician to be the one to diagnose it. And like I said, pediatricians can, and often they can start medications. You present to a child psychiatrist sometimes when those first round or the standard medications aren't as helpful or not working, then you want to see a specialist. When does psych testing come in? When would someone need to do that? (sighs) Good question. So one, it's a choice. And often neuropsychological testing can come in when it seems like something more than ADHD might be going on. The fact is that neuropsychological testing is very expensive. So when I'm talking to parents, I am usually recommending it if we're pretty stumped and we think that there's something that we're not quite sure of, it can also be really helpful when we're thinking about specific ways to work with the school. Are there other learning disorders going on? Are there ways to get IEPs or 504 plans that we can think of through neuropsychological testing? If you're concerned about 
I shouldn't say just ADHD because obviously it's a big deal. But if you're concerned about typical ADHD, I wouldn't go the route of neuropsych testing because it's just a really long and expensive endeavor. But if you're getting treatment for ADHD already or you've gotten that diagnosis and that's not explaining all the symptoms you're having and you're really struggling in school, showing a lot of learning differences, that's where you might want to think about neuropsychological testing. And this is really where having a psychiatrist on board could be helpful because it's a nuanced conversation. So I would never just say, here's the bullet points for when you get neuropsych testing. It'd be a back and forth conversation about how a person is presenting. Mm. Okay. I want to rewind a little bit because I'm actually very curious for myself as a parent. You were talking earlier about the importance of that the symptoms need to be present in two different settings. Mm -hmm. We can make it super quick, but what are some reasons that those symptoms might be present in one setting and not another setting? What what are other explanations? Totally. And again, this is a nuanced conversation because I never in a million trillion years would want anyone to feel blamed or like it's their fault or any parent like that. We are all just doing our best. But often if a kid shows behavioral issues at home, say, and not at school, it may be something that's happening in the family environment. So a very typical example is a new baby comes into the house and the older sibling starts acting up, can't sit still, can't pay attention. Well, maybe they are seeking attention from their parents. But we could name 100 other scenarios. It might be that the child has some underlying anxiety that they're showing, but it's not ADHD. Um, so this is where it's great to get the school report and hear how they're doing at school vice versa, if they don't show any symptoms at home, but they do at school. One, it could be that the parent has really adjusted well to their kid and they know their kid well. So they have so many, we call it scaffolding. They have a lot of scaffolding in place to help their kid with their symptoms. So for example, a kid who maybe does have ADHD, but the parent plans tons of different activities, really short activities, gets their energy out. They have a lot of outdoor time. They're not asked to sit for hours on end. Well, the parent might have just learned really great coping skills at home. So that's where we'd want to dig in a bit more. Alternatively, they might show symptoms at school, but not at home because there's an underlying learning disorder. There might be some struggles with friends, struggles in the environment. So it's not true ADHD. It's something else that's happening at school. Again, these are why you want to have nuanced conversations and not just jump into a diagnosis. Well, let's talk about treatment. We can talk a very quickly about medication. I want to talk about that, but I also want to talk about other treatments too that you recommend. Yeah. So ADHD is a unique diagnosis of childhood in that medications really are the superior treatment. That's not me saying don't get therapy. It's not. I think therapy is great to help figure out the scaffolding that you need in place at home or at school to help a kid with their symptoms, especially if a parent doesn't want to go the medication route, which is fine. But medications do work. They do. And they're going to be the most effective tool. So I'm not saying that in any way to push medications, but there are so many cases where a kid is getting therapy and it's just not helping enough. And medications are extremely effective for ADHD. So when a parent comes to see me, I'll often talk to them about the scaffolding in place. If they want to be referred to therapy, 
they can, but therapy specifically with the child may not be curative of the symptoms. One therapy that we do really like is called parent management therapy or parent management training. And that's where actually the child is not involved. It's teaching the parent skills at home that they can use to help with some of these symptoms that they're seeing. Plenty of symptoms that may not respond to therapy. The adults I see with ADHD, I have seen good results with people who are motivated and want to work with ADHD coaches. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's the hard thing about a child. Typically, when a child comes, they're coming because their parent is bringing them. That's just the nature of being seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11 years old. I don't think most kids ask to go see a psychiatrist. So it's not at all that they're not motivated, but they might just not have the understanding of what's needed or how to use some of those skills. But again, I I really am careful here because it's nuanced. I, I sound like a broken record and it kind of depends on the child and the family system and how much time a parent has and how much the parent is able to work with the therapist. I always tell parents that one hour a week with a therapist for any diagnosis is going to be difficult to change a child's symptoms if the environment doesn't change. So you have to really adjust the home environment or the school environment because that's where the kid spends the majority of the time. Yeah. I kind of want to talk about the benefit. I mean, we talked a little bit about the benefits of having an ADHD mind though. Totally. Totally. Yes, yes, yes. I think the benefits, we go way back. We can think about millions and millions of years ago. I say this kind of tongue in cheek, but really meaning it like if someone was getting chased by a lion, if that really was what was happening, maybe more like chased by a wolf, they certainly don't want to be standing still. They want to be looking around. And I think the same is true today with there's plenty of sports where you want someone to be very active. There's creative minds where you kind of want that person daydreaming and thinking and doodling. And so I think it's so important for parents and teachers to help a child find what really makes them tick, find their passions. The other thing I want to mention is that when we think about medication, one, if someone has tried a medication before and the parent felt like it made their kid a zombie, that wasn't the right medication for that. So I do not want anyone to have the idea that by going on medications, you're just going to turn into a zombie. We got to find what works for that kid. We got to find the dose that works so that they can be living their full life. The other thing is the great thing about ADHD medications is they can be short acting, they can be long acting. So maybe a kid just needs the medication during the hours of school. But then at home, when they go on to do their sport or their creative activity, they're not on their medications and they can kind of let their mind do what their mind is supposed to do. So we got to figure out what works for that child and and the lifestyle that they want to live. Any resources you might suggest to parents if they want to do some extra reading or research about this? Sure. I mean, I think the best place to always go is ACAP, A-A-C-A-P. That's the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. They have amazing, not only information on ADHD, they have information on the therapy, on the medications. They talk about what each medication might do so the parents can read about it ahead of time. The other place I'd always recommend parents go is talking to the school. I mean, schools are very, very good 
at thinking about ADHD. They see this a lot. Uh, some schools have their own psychologists or social workers and obviously teachers too. So that's often a great place to start. The other thing to mention is that Schools can put in individualized education plans or 504 plans to help a child make sure they're getting the resources that they need at school. Even if a parent chooses that, hey, medication isn't the route they want to go, we should be making sure that the kid is having accommodations that help them to succeed in that environment based on what symptoms they're showing. This was such a fun conversation because ADHD is simple but complex at the same time. Yeah, one just one last thing is you had mentioned about adults with ADHD and how a lot of people are have symptoms these days. I think it is really important when we see those distractions to think about what is distracting us in our environment and I can't have a conversation with ADHD without mentioning screen time. Like if your child is looking at TikTok, you know, they're 14 and they're looking at TikTok while they're doing their homework and can't get their homework done. That does not mean they have ADHD. That means we should stop looking at TikTok and put the phones away. So I just want to have that PSA that phones, screens and the like can be a great mimicker. Yeah. Is that your last word? <laughs> That's a, I don't mean to end on that word. Um, no, I want to end on the fact that ADHD does not have to be scary. Again, as we talked about, so many people are living with these symptoms. If a teacher or a pediatrician tells a parent they suspect someone might have symptoms, take a deep breath, relax. There's so, so, so many different options out there for treatment. These treatments don't have to be scary and they work very well. So it's going to be okay. Just find someone who can work with you and wants to work with your family and your child. Yeah. I think that's a great message. Thank you. Sure. This has been Mind Stories with me, Josephine McNary of Cal Psychiatry. With online psychiatry in California and 13 offices throughout Southern California and the Bay Area, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, ADHD, anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com and let us help you get back to your true self. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.